0: Hello and welcome to MythMakers. Makers. is the podcast for fantasy fans and fantasy creatives brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. My name is Julia Golding. I spend most of my time as uh, author and screenwriter and and very creative person all around, uh, but I also uh, direct the centre, so that's what I'm doing here. And joining me today is regular co-presenter Jacob Renika, who is sitting over in, I think it's Seattle, isn't it, Jacob? It is. Yeah. And Jacob is a Tolkien expert and also involved in the creation of board games. So having a sort of different creative expression of fantasy. Okay. So what are we talking about today? Well, I've been thinking about orcs, as one does, and they are quite a problematic aspect of Tolkien's world in many ways. So, I thought we would devote today's podcast to a deep dive into the world of orcs. So, just before we get into the Lord of the Rings version of orcs, I just want to go back to the origin of the word because some people may not realize that the actual word comes from Old English. Of course, it does. We're talking about Tolkien. Um, And if you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and look up orc, you find there are two roots for the name and both are interesting. So the one which is less relevant to Tolkien is that orc is a reference to a sea monster, which is um, from the French orc or the Italian orca, which all comes from Latin, which is why one of the words for a killer whale is an orca. Uh, So there's an element of like a sea monster somewhere floating around in that meaning, but Tolkien himself probably reached for the Old English version of this, which means a demon or an ogre. And it appears in Old English uh, in compound words such as Orknias, which means monsters, in the poem Beowulf, which we all know was one of Tolkien's favourite and one he spent much scholarly time pondering. Uh, Possibly there is some... Um, derivation from the Latin word orcus, a god of the underworld. So I think it's that side of the English language that Tolkien was drawing on. But it does mean that he was, as ever, finding a new meaning for a very old word. So, Jacob, help us out. What are orcs when it comes to Tolkien's world?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, Tolkien uh being very familiar with Norse uh myth as well, um the uh the Jotun, uh the the giants in Norse mythology, and we talked we had a whole uh conversation you yeah, and I about giants. about giants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So one of one of uh the terms that's used for uh for giants, uh theers, I believe, um, was uh translated in old english using that uh term the the orc so there's a tie between giants uh you know otherworldly creatures creatures associated with darkness um underworld death um and uh and orcs so yeah there's the natural natural connection there um yeah so tolkien it's it's interesting because one of the things that we see in uh the hobbit uh, is that we we don't have Orc really there that that you have goblins instead, right? And we're told in The Hobbit that uh, Goblin is used kind of synonymously with Orc and it's and it's actually said um, to be a translation. you know Goblin is used as a translation of of Orc. Uh, and so, the, 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 there doesn't seem to be kind of a clear distinction between these a species: goblin versus orc. Um, so it can get it can get kind of confusing. Yeah,
0: can we because, pause there? Because actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think goblin has a very different root. So yeah. if you look at Victorian fantasy, like um, *The Princess and the Goblin*, so those books, those goblin does seem more of a folk story figure that's been right. around. Um, yeah. And orc seems to be coming a little bit from the outside, from the cold of Beowulf and, you know, way back in medieval time, um, uh, middle English times. No, old English times. Sorry, get get this right. So I don't buy that as a, as a thing. I, I feel as though that's, that's not a great translation because the goblins in uh, The Hobbit do behave more like goblins than orcs with their, their songs and their, you know, they're a bit more cheery.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, in the two, so you have in two towers, you have like goblin soldiers that are specifically yeah. referred to, right? Um, and but goblins, whereas I think traditionally in that broader uh like Victorian era that goblins are kind of smaller. Yeah. But here in two towers, the goblin soldiers are said to be of greater stature, like so they're like larger. So it's tough. I don't know. I would love to see a taxonomy of orcs in general and goblins and other fell beasts. Okay. Creatures. So
0: we'll, we'll just accept that even if there is a bit of a Victorian blend happening here, that what we think of as goblins under the mountain in The Hobbit are in some way related to orcs.
1: Yes. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So
0: we'll, we'll accept that and, and we'll move on to um, Lord of the Rings. So... <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about where they come from, because I know this isn't an easy question. So, are orcs, and we're not talking about uruk yet. Are orcs ruined elves?
1: Yeah, I guess it. Depends. It depends on where you're dipping into uh, Tolkien's writings, right? Um, like the earliest, earliest origins for orcs. Um, right, Book of Lost Tales is uh describing orcs um or goblins, right? So sometimes Tolkien's using those interchangeably. Um are they're they're coming from a stone, right? They're coming from uh like you know, subterranean heat and slime, and it says their hearts were of granite and their bodies deformed. So they they almost seem to be <laughs> like made out of clay, right? They're so a bit like that...
0: dwarves that went a bit wrong or something. Exactly, no, no. And there's a
1: parallel there, and that's that that comes in uh, a little bit later, kind of like as, as Tolkien is is teasing out the theological implications of orcs, is comparing them to dwarves, right? Which are different types of of, of creation, um, and sub-creation who's creating them and who's allowed to create and who can give life uh, in Tolkien's world. Uh, that's a, 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 a big issue in Tolkien's mind and why he, I don't think he ever kind of Finally settles down on a specific origin for orcs in the big picture, but from the beginning, so possible origins, earliest conceptions that Tolkien has are they're just kind of made from stone, kind of like and from the earth, Um, but from the you know ickier places of the world, hotter, slimier places. Whereas maybe you know, Oley is is taking the nice, uh, you know, prettier clay that has really nice tones, uh, maybe some streaks of different colors in there, because he's a he's a craftsman, so he's probably taking greater care, whereas Melkor is just kind of really just slapping, sort of slapping together. it all together.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. Okay, so that's he a possibility. Needs- and, and the that's underlying principle here is uh, in Tolkien's theology, and actually in, surely in our world too, that um, the origin of life is very difficult to pinpoint, and within his theology, only Eru Iluvatar should be creating life. So when um, the dwarves are uh, created, sort of you know uh, by on on the side, uh, Eru kind of steps in and, and kind of puts them to sleep for a bit, doesn't he? Until the elves yeah. are awake because they were going to be the first people. So there's a kind of ordering of who creates life which is where the idea that the orcs can't be just, you know, snap my fingers and a new race comes to be. Um, The orcs in a way have to come from somewhere. And so that's why it's not clear. And one of the things that is said is that they, and I think um, it's mentioned again in some of the film versions, isn't it? Um, That they were elves once possibly who wandered off um, in the darkness and got Bent and twisted.
1: Right. There's there's definitely yeah, a, a relationship to elves in in some way, shape, or form. So after kind of chronologically, if you start out with Tolkien seeing orcs is created from uh from stone, granite, heat, slime, um, then uh in Quintus Silmarillion of 1937, you have um orcs specifically says that Morgoth is creating uh orcs after Morgoth had seen the elves and was making them in mockery of the children of Iluvatar. Uh, So there, they're not, in this this version in 1937, they're not deformed elves, but he's kind of copying elves. He sees Mm -hmm. these elves and he's like making them not just as a copy, but again, like in mockery of the elves. So like he's doing, oh yeah, you can do this. Yeah, I can do it, but worse uh and so but they're still made of stone in that version they're still not kind of made out of the same flesh and 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 blood um but then you have uh the uh annals of amman in the 1950s um when tolkien's putting together and you see that that's where we start having the overtones of elves that have been corrupted and twisted so that's kind of where you're first seeing mm. that enter into tolkien's at least in writing
0: oh i didn't realize it was that there. late okay that's really interesting
1: no. yeah so yeah and, there's, and so here's from uh the passage there uh it says you know all those of the quendi the, the elves that came into the hands of melkor ere autumno was broken were put there in prison and by slow arts of cruelty and wickedness were corrupted and enslaved. Thus did Melkor breathe the hideous race of the Orkor, which is they were called at that time, um, in envy and mockery of the Eldar, of whom they were afterwards the bitterest of foes. Um, and then this is, and this is actually what's then adapted. What follows here is adapted um, in the the published Silmarillion uh, that Christopher Tolkien publishes. So this some of this other language that follows would be a little bit more familiar. Um, uh, right? It says that in their deep uh, dark hearts. The Orkor, uh loathe the master whom they served in fear and maker only of their misery um, and then it talks about yeah uh da, 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 yeah uh, this maybe was the vilest deed of melkor and the most hateful to eru so yeah this was a bad scene it's like being a very bad thing because he's taking existing life and then twisting it to these perverse ends and so that scene is greater than him just creating something out of stone and being a mockery in the image of, this is actually dealing with life itself, um, living beings. And that's despicable in this particular, you know, kind of theological uh, framework.
0: So before we go and talk about the different kinds of Orc uh, under that umbrella, um, do we have any idea how they reproduce? Because none of the Orcs that we meet seem female. They may be. I don't know uh they could be gender <laughs> fluid or whatever but is there right. any sense of yeah are they in a laboratory are they are well, they spawned like you know lava uh, or do we this know? is a good
1: good question well in that same in the same passage it says um uh again from uh this early uh see the annals of amman uh, that then is adapted into the silmarillion um section that talks about orcs. it says uh the the, the orc core had life and multiplied after the manner of the children of a Luvatar sort of suggestion that they're reproducing biologically there,
0: okay, so there's going to be some kind of ability to have orc babies somewhere in the <laughs> which is which is quite interesting to think about right okay and and within that. <laughs> Uh, do we have any sense how long they live any of that kind of thing so obviously if they are after the children of Lúvatar, they they have a sense of they live an awful long time or are yeah, they more like and dwarves who again live and that's extended lifetimes but do die do die yeah and that's and
1: that, again it, it appears to be that's an issue that tolkien's trying to work through because if they are from derived from elves then they're going to have you know this serial longevity right that that, that they're essentially made of the same stuff but are they but because they have been twisted do they have more limitations placed on them like dwarves where they can live longer lives um we do see we have examples and we talk we can talk later about some of the specific uh orcs that we have named um in different works but you know one of them uh is Referred to uh, right, Gorebag says that he lived longer than regular orcs did. So there's at least there we have we we see that orcs have a particular like lifespan, and that this one had a longer lifespan than yeah, most.
0: Yeah, though one suspects there isn't much of a retirement plan for an orc. So it could <laughs> wow. be that he's, so he's that could be that he's a survivor and hasn't been killed off in some. No, you know.
1: ex- exa- right. so, um, exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So we don't know, I think is, it was an an element that's, that's probably.
1: Yeah. Well, and and this, and this depends also. So one of the other avenues that you have that Tolkien is playing with, um, even in that passage that I, that I mentioned here that said that, you know, orcs were kind of twisted um, from elves and then multiply after the manner of the children of Iluvatar is uh, in the margins. uh, Tolkien wrote alter this orcs are not elvish okay (laughs) so he had written so he's written both (laughs) but that was you know afterwards uh there's the idea right that so are are they are they sentient they're 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 clearly sentient but there's you know you have the uh this idea of of soul of a rational soul this they are um that, that living creatures have um and animals and different types of animals have different degrees of this kind of like sliding scale of sentience right so you have a uh, huan uh you have uh you know is, is a, a a dog uh the
0: talking dog is my, one of my favorite characters g- yeah. a very good
1: dog right yeah. um who has right so he's, he's an animal but he has speech and like volition and then you have the similarly with the, the eagles as well right so they seem to be mm. set apart from the natural kind of regular beast of the, and the dragons
0: they also speak
1: right yeah 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 so there's so the, the, this is messy and the, so to, to complicate things further then you have um in an appendix to uh uh an uh, essay on the quendian eldar that tolkien's writing in uh 1959 and 60 um Uh, He says here that there's a cogent point, the horrible to relate. It became clear in time that undoubted men could, under the domination of Morgoth and his agents, in a few generations be reduced almost to the orc level of mind and habits, and then they would or could be made to mate with orcs, producing new breeds, often larger and more cunning. So you have okay. kind of interbreeding <laughs> between yeah. different species, not just elvish or elf-related, but that there's like some sort of crossbreeding that's happening with different. But groups. that would
0: follow if there is some connection to the elves, because of course elves and men can have children. Right. So, okay. Well, so we've got um, we we can live with the we can live with some <laughs> uncertainty there, but we can see what he's reaching for. He's sort of thinking about these in some way as a spoiled creation. That that mm-hmm. seems to be a, a constant thing here. Okay, so um, going sort of the next level down is one of the things that's very interesting as you read Lord of the Rings is to get a sense of the politics within the world of Auctum, um, where you've got Saruman perhaps breeding with men. I, I don't know, but he's he's producing a super race, isn't he? The the Uruk Hai, who are able to travel under um, daylight and a uh, Bigger and stronger, and and they're the ones who run off with Merry and Pippin back to, or try to get back to Orthanc. And we've got the, I suppose the original flavor orcs who come out of Mordor. So if we give them names, uh, if you're re- referring to that passage, the original flavor orc is Grishnak, and the Urukai is Ugluk. And there's clearly tension between those two groups. And they all look down on the orcs who are coming out of the Misty Mountains to avenge their captain. So there does seem to be a bit of politics within the orcs. Now we can see where the um, uh, the urukai are coming from because this you can imagine Saruman applying his magic to that problem and doing a bit of bioengineering. engineering, um, and we and we can see the Mordor orcs but then you go to the next level down when you get with Sam and um Frodo into the borders of Mordor you find that the original flavor orcs are also hugely divided by their jobs and where they're stationed so you've got um the two orcs who are the ones carrying Frodo into the tower at Cirith Ungol who are and then there's a big punch up and they kill each other the two sets of orcs but also
1: rotten gore bag thank you
0: yeah (laughs) and then there are two unnamed orcs i think a bit later on who um sam and frodo over here who are tracking them and they are called the soldier and the tracker one's like snuffling along the ground and the other one is sort of like leading him in a way it's like his kind of minder it's almost like a dog owner type thing except they talk to each other So Tolkien really did think through, his orcs aren't all one kind of orc. There's a whole series of, a sense of a community, um, if that's the right word, but there is a sense of a a realpolitik of orcs that gives them a little bit more definition than just the, um, you know, the massed armies in, um, you see on the screens when there's a, a battle sequence in any of the films or whatever. Are there any, named orcs outside lord of the rings like in the silmarillion i couldn't think of one but that may be just my ignorance
1: i couldn't think of any
0: there is the one who uh from the hobbit who um who kills uh sorry, the one who became a hero character a hero orc character in the films um uh sorry i'm forgetting his name um He's the one who's who Thorin has the big set to battle with. So I think there is a couple there who who whose names are plucked from the the history of the of the dwarves. But there isn't really a lot of focus on orcs in Silmarillion, is there? They seem to be, you know, less of a problem. I mean, they are the last right. ranks, but they're they're not. They tend to be more interested in fighting um, dragons and other sorts of things in the First Age. Uh, yeah yeah okay right so moving on before we talk about the actual characterization of orcs let's deal with the problem of orcs which is um the way tolkien has written about the orcs and the period in which he is writing people have begun to relate it across to the whole sort of eugenics movement and sort of ideas of racism um the tarring of everybody of the same brush who's of one race, you know, the lack of differentiation. Is everybody really all bad in this race? You know, that stuff. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Uh, Do you think that he's he's a man of his era, of course. Um, He is. But should we be worried about accepting this great raft of characters as bad guys just because who they're born
1: yeah, I think this is, and I think this is what one of the issues that Tolkien had, you know, especially later in life, as he's thinking through the, the theological implications of orcs and their sentience. Again, are they living? So, what happens when orcs die? Right. So, if they have a rational soul, if if they're derived from elves and they're elvish, and that means that they're taken to Mandos to the halls of waiting or like that they, and then they could be re. Are they rehoused, uh, into another body? Are they not there? Is there some sort of, you know, the, the judgment placed on them? That's what he's trying to figure out. And because if they, if they are rational, if they do have will, uh, and they're not inherently evil, then, what does that what, what what does that mean and so i think he he was he seemed to be very uncomfortable with with just having them all pure evil that because they they were you know life um uh even though it was corrupted life that it was still life nonetheless that came from ultimately the creation of uh arrow right that there's something that can't be completely uh evil in them. And so I, I think, yeah, so he would he 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 was wrestling with that question even till the end. So I, I think you see the depictions even in people, you know, I think you referenced this before, um Julia um is uh Lewis's response to that. I don't know if you want to speak to Lewis's yeah. review of the Two Towers and how he dealt with people already, you know, fans already having kind of a backlash to Tolkien saying that he's too black and white. Uh, what, yeah. what, were you, yeah, what were you thinking about there?
0: No, I mean, C.S. Lewis was a very sensitive reader to Tolkien. I mean, admittedly, some of their language now we would find used differently. So using swarthy as a sort of negative term, for example, um, But putting that aside and allowing them to be men from the middle of the 20th century, um, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, I think some readers seeing and disliking this rigid demarcation of black and white, imagine they have seen a rigid demarcation between black and white people. Looking at the squares, they assume in defiance of the fact that all the pieces must be making bishops moves, which confine them to one colour. But even such readers will hardly brazen it out through the last two volumes. Motives, even on the right side, are mixed. And he goes on to say, Those who are now traitors usually began with comparatively innocent intentions. Heroic Rohan and Imperial Gondor are partly diseased. Even the wretched Smeagol, till quite late in the story, has good impulses. And by a tragic paradox, what finally pushes him over the brink is an unpremeditated speech by the most selfless character of them all. He's referring to, um, you know, Sam sort of talking about him sneaking off that that bit. Um, so I think that that he was aware, I think, put it like this, if Tolkien was writing today, he would com- completely clear away any association that we have with a sort of black and white people aspect to make sure it's absolutely clear because he's not actually doing that. Um and he is. When you look at his people on the white squares in this context, they are veering around all over the chess chess set, chessboard. So you've got Deniflor, for example, who's you know doing a knight's move, really, rather than a bishop's move. So I think that's quite a good way of looking at it. To say to to not spoil your enjoyment of reading by thinking it's not actually um, it's it is more nuanced than you may think. And also I'm very pleased that any sort of visual versions of this that we've had in the 21st century have clearly chosen, let's not go down a um a, a skin tone route for these people. Let's make sure that they are sort of neutral in that sense. So you get, you know, very chalk white orcs and you get ones who look like Uh, They need a bit of sun and you get some who are darker toned and leopard striped, you know, that's the way to go is to think it's, uh, yeah, let's not make it into a racial eugenics, um, you know, a big, let's not, let's not ruin orcs yet further (laughs) by doing that to them. Yeah, so it's good to be sensitive to it because it's... it's it absolutely is. And it has, and, it,
1: and and to be completely fair, it has been used uh, by fantasy authors who have picked up on orcs, the idea of orcs in those sorts of ways that, that weren't nuanced. And I mean, but before going to that, uh, you know, the the Silmarillion is written from the elves' perspective, right? Um, yeah. And so it's of their concerns and what they're... Where, where their minds are what they're most concerned with uh you know Hobbit Lord of the Rings Tolkien was very intentional about the frame narrative, right who's writing it where it's being translated from right who's passing it on um so as a as a linguist and as a scholar, he was very concerned about sources uh and that, and, and aware that who is writing and transmitting and translating any story that that's going to filter, what the end product is, so I I, I think Tolkien was self aware uh, enough, like you were saying, Julia, that if it was written in these days, that he would be very <laughs> painstakingly. It'd all be
0: blue about... like Avatar. <laughs> Maybe right, yeah. So, but but but
1: but some some people I think have used orcs as an excuse to like uh, perpetuate ideas of like an entire race, or or to, to essentially give you license for a lack of nuance uh in a character so um uh so uh the author uh, nk jemisin um written some some really lovely um fantasy and sci-fi works um somebody asked her why she didn't include creatures like orcs in her fantasy writings and what she said was and i think this gives a glimpse on like how orcs can be used in that Mm -hmm. very negative sense she says orcs are fruit of the poison vine that is human fear of the other in games like Dungeons and Dragons orcs are a fun way to bring faceless savage dark hordes into a fantasy setting and then gleefully go genocidal on them um and that they're uh, and then she goes on to say that they're an amalgamation of stereotypes re- representing a kind of sort of people who aren't worthy of even the most basic moral considerations like the right to exist
0: yeah and it does become problematic when it leaks into the real world, because I have heard, understandable from the the point of view of the suffering involved, but some of the the, the uh, social media talk about the Ukraine Russia context, uh, the war there um, refers to the Russian army as orcs and and mm. Russia as Mordor, and you can see why they're reaching for that. But the danger is it misses out on the humanity of all the people involved in that conflict, even if they're in the wrong side of it. Um, and that's why it's problematic, because, of course, that's what the Nazis did to uh, the people they didn't like. You, you you treat them as subhuman and therefore you don't have to worry about human rights. So mm-hmm. I think always check check what you're doing with orcs. Uh, that's why they're problematic. I think moving on from the the racial aspect of this, Um, because Tolkien's world is a world where sentient beings are more than one race. That's just the way he set up his fantasy. Um, I think there is grounds for saying there is a classist aspect to the way he characterizes orcs. So um, you could actually look at it. If you're going to complain, you could say, why do they all speak like union reps who from sort of mining communities up north or something? There is an element of that so when we do see the individual orcs arguing, um, there's a lot of sort of oi, gore, you know, all that stuff. Um, and what when they do talk, it does sound like a union meeting that's gone wrong where they're complaining to each other. So uh, I'm just looking at In the Two Towers um, when they're about to be struck down by Rohan. They're all sort of arguing about, um, you know, what they should be doing in their strategy. Uh, But it's all sort of in what I recall, uh, it's quite a nuanced thing, but in English, in English, English, it sounds like what you might do for a working class person. You, Lugdush, get two others and stand guard over them. They're not to be killed unless the filthy white skins break through. Understand? As long as I'm alive, I want them. But they're not to cry out and they're not to be rescued. You know, so it's kind of thug speak. Yeah. It's thug speak. <laughs> so they don't whereas all the, you know, the refined Gondor people say, verily I deem that thou shalt do this, that, and the other, um, he's gone that way. And again, in um the return of the king, when we've got the really interesting insight to what the orcs know about the war. That's one of my favourite passages, when these unnamed orcs are talking. Um, The big orc is saying, not much use are you, you little snufflers. I reckon your eyes are better than your snotty noses. Um, Then what have you seen with them, Snarled the other. Gone. You don't even know what you're looking at. Who's to blame for that, said the soldier. Not mine. That comes from higher up. And he goes on to explain the rumours that the common soldier is getting from what's happening over in Baradur and elsewhere. So this is where it kind of, uh, humanizes is the wrong word, but you get a sense of their labour rumbles and their policies. And it does seem to me taken from, his go- like gone he's going for a working class commoners dialect for the Orcs. So there you go. A little bit of... Um, Issue there perhaps, but it's a translation, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. It's a translation. So we can blame the translator. right So <laughs> do you have a favorite orc? So we've got gorbag, uh ugluk. Uh chagrat, yeah, you got birds yeah, Shnuck, yeah. Do you have a favorite? There's Snaga,
1: yeah. So it's interesting. I think <laughs> so. So Snaga is sometimes used as like a derogatory term by Urukai for some of the other, you know, lower caste uh, orcs. um But it's also a proper name for one of the orcs who brings. Pippin and Merry to Isengard and the proper name of another orc who mistakes Sam for an elf warrior in the, the Tower of Cirith Ungol. So it's like the name like Steve or John, uh, like <laughs> a, a, a common name, right? So like whatever.
0: Well, maybe it's like, like Titch or Maggot or something, you know, in, in yeah. orc speaks. So I'm sure it means something like that. Yeah. So um, I, I mean, think my favorite is, um, I actually like Ugluk because he 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 is basically Aragorn of the Uruk-hai he has you know he he's aware of his own greatness we are the fighting uruk-kai you know he's got a real sense of um his importance which i rather like yeah. you know he, he sort of pontificates <laughs> you get a real sense of this commander who really thinks he's the bee's knees yeah. uh, my, so he's my favorite of all the orcs.
1: My favorite, well, yeah, I think the works it's not in it, but it's not from the books. It's it's his unique to the film is Lurtz, who's that Urukai, the nasty one that has the kind of one-on-one fight, the one who's you know, peppering uh uh Boromir with with arrows and who has that one-on-one fight with with Aragorn at the end.
0: Yes, uh, he is very fine. I mean he, he, we were doing the books, but because uh, the other one in um the Peter Jackson version is the commander figure. Who has the sort of um, very deformed head? Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten right. his name. Someone not listening to this will know his name, um, but he again has his own. He's got, you know, you can see the POV, the point of view of that orc looking at his job. He's got to get done, and how all these idiotic Gondor cavalry are just riding into his guns. You know, you can see the 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 world from his point of view, which makes them rise up to. A, more of a rounded character but those are inventions yeah. um added in for the film aren't they i think
1: yeah that's got by the way
0: goth thank you yeah yes um okay so moving on to um the film versions we've touched on how they've been characterized as uh trying to get away from a sort of skin tone shorthand which would be objectionable um on the whole, the the orcs from Mordor are less handsome, if we're allowed a sort of an orc handsomeness scale, <laughs> whereas the the ones from um, Orthanc are quite, you know, they have got some fine um, actors to sort of fill out those suits, should we say, like Lurtz and others. So they're they're more handsome versions. Um, dipping back into the Hobbit and this is where you need to Google again for me, in the name of the the, the one who fights um, Thorin. Uh, he and his son both have quite a sort of big part in those films, trying to give their point of view. Um, is it Lurtz the son?
1: They have Azog.
0: Azog, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was quite a lot of criticism of that character as well. People didn't warm to it as a um i mean there was some problems with an overextension of that that series anyway but i don't know i don't think they really worked as well as the lord of the rings version of the the orcs um for some reason and i can't work out why maybe it's because we don't I, i i don't know i think the problem about those films is the the real real enemy is Smaug for most of the film, and then Smaug dies, and then we get the battle of the five armies. That's one of the structural problems of The Hobbit, and when the, which is seen as you go into a film. That it feels a bit broken-backed, so the drama with the orcs or the goblins or whatever we're calling them is a bit disconnected from the Smaug threat. I don't know. So I can see why it was difficult to film. What would you yeah. have done?
1: I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. I don't
0: know. I'd quite yeah. like to re- recut that film and just keep it to the Tolkien material and see what it looks like. And so there's
1: sort of... and there's, the, there's people that have done that, that have done, ah, okay. uh, yeah, The Hobbit, yeah, the, the Bilbo cuts. They've done, yeah, they've taken the, the, all three films and cut it down to essentially the length of a single film where it's really... I think I'd like that. ...cute closer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as much I was as looking... I like,
0: you know, the acting and everything is, and the look yeah. and everything is fine. It's just somehow it doesn't quite mesh... yeah. So moving from The Hobbit um, to the Rings of Power version of this, I actually think this is some of my favorite orc material because the the character who's like the the spoiled elf who's trying to stand up for the orcs in that really interests me. He's one of the most interesting bad guys. Um, Again, I'm going to have to Google his name. Um, Adar. Adar, thank you. I don't know yeah. what's wrong with my brain today. I do. I've had a long day. <laughs> that's what's wrong <laughs> with it. Um, but that to me seems to be a kind of, that's what you need to do with orcs. If you're doing a modern writing, so well done the, the screenwriters there, um, rather than just sort of drop in orcs as they were originally put into Lord of the Rings, if you're going to talk about more of their origins from um, the Second Age, that is the interesting stuff to do Is is they are fighting for their survival. Uh, It's taking those seeds of the industrial discontent of the Mordor orcs and looking at them earlier as they're founding the empire. Um, So did you like Adar? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, no,
1: I I did. And I liked the whole conversation. And there was, I can't remember if it was episode seven of when you have Adar, when he's, you know, tied up, Um, Galadriel uh, has, you know, captured him Mm. and he's kind of inside that barn uh, being tied up and, talking to her again telling her that you know like well orcs uh are really you know they're just elves really we're all the same And and then he gives a theological argument right that they're uh that we're all creations of Iluvatar. And so put on equal footing and say, why why are you so much better than these living creatures? And so he, I think they do, you're right, the the writers uh, do raise some really interesting and I think significant moral uh, questions there and the difference between how much of a difference is there really between orcs and elves? Is it Nature is it nurture, right? Uh, is it the environment yeah. that they're that they're raised in? Um, but they clearly have, uh, you know, uh, tendencies towards worship, right? So they're they're kind of treating this Adar character as you know, quasi-divine in a sense, yeah. right? They, they reference something. Mm. Yeah. And they have these so are like when the um in episode, I think it was two, I don't know, th- uh, three. Cause a that's when later, you first yeah. see it. You see Adar mm. at the end of two. You see Adar's blurry at the end of two and then three. Uh or is it three and four? But when you first see Adar and then you uh, they're at the the orc camp, um uh when Erendir is captured with the other ones and that little kind of like slave camp where they're trying to hew down the trees uh, one of the orcs dies right and so you almost have like a like funerary ritual uh that he does on them so you have this kind of which is a you know oddly tender moment right where you see or he was dying no, was, the orc was dying right and then Adar like ends his life but does so in a tender way um so it's kind of like a ritual death end of life where the 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 orc wanted that to come from this character so you have more of a sense of like a culture right yeah Um, a, a sense of a worldview that they're fitting within and that they're living within that is different from yours but for them, you see that it is compelling and encompassing in a way that they find meaning <laughs> in yeah. in a sense. Um, and that's something that we haven't really seen before. Um, so I, I I like you, yeah, I did really appreciate uh, seeing that from a kind of a cultural perspective.
0: Yeah. And then so just moving on slightly from um the sort of screen versions, just we need to recognize um that there are some book extensions of this um like the stan nichols uh series called orcs i haven't read it actually i don't know um i was just reading about it and i was aware of it uh, and it seems to have be like a fun satirical take with the orcs being the sort of boisterous heroes and the humans being the you know the enemy um so and you were mentioning you also see orcs in spinoffs in um dungeons and dragons and of course in um those kind of uh video games and so on so people are asking those questions and finding out what they think an orc might be in other worlds in other no well, other yeah. fantasy worlds should we say well
1: and, and interesting about the dungeons and dragons it was uh 2020 uh dungeons and dragons with wizards of the coast kind of revisited their race system, uh, right, for characters. And in uh, 2021, specifically, are talking about, saying like, races like orcs, goblins, and dark elves, usually they were identified as typically evil, uh, yeah. right? It's just like the default is evil. But now it specifically says that any that any of those races, they may be good or evil as defined by how they're acting. Um, and according to the will of the player that's playing them. So okay. they're, they're being more sensitive to some of those possible abuses of taking those races and, uh, you know, essentializing them as evil as the corrupt other or whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. The ones you don't have to worry about. Right. Right. Yeah. OK, so thank you. And I think we have done our deep dive into the problem of orcs. And uh, I've certainly learned quite a few things. So I hope that's helpful to people who are listening. And we always end with where in all the fantasy worlds is the best place for something. And it's absolutely obvious that we have to decide where is the best place to be an orc. (laughs) So, Jacob, have you had a chance to think about this? Where would you like to be an orc?
1: (laughs) It's hard. And I think... I think I just, I have to say middle earth because it's middle earth. And like, at least even if I was an orc, at least I would be in middle earth. It would be a rough life. It it would be, (laughs) it it would be, it would be hard. It'd be difficult. I'd talk with. You know, I, I'd, I'd sound like a, a union uh, leader and I'd you'd, <laughs> you'd be
0: organizing the labor to the strike. But at least like yeah. the
1: landscape, at least how Tolkien describes the landscape, like what I would be marching across and where I would be if I was a snuffler or whatever, at least the landscape would be gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> so I'd have to content myself with the, the snuffling the landscape. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. That's where I came down. That's what I'd I suppose I'd have to do. Because okay, it's so... the only way I can get there it's, as an orc, so be it. I would go to Middle-earth, <laughs> e- even if it was just as an orc.
0: Yeah, it's like the worst economy class ticket you could get. <laughs> right. um, I think, I've been thinking about this, and I think that it's not much fun being an orc in Middle-earth because everyone hates you and they're trying to exterminate you. Um, and so I thought I'd go back to the original world of orc To the old English orc Hmm. and I would fancy being an orc some monstrous demon figure living in the forests of Europe Um, a bit like you know Grendel from Beowulf just going about my orcish business in that kind of world you might last a bit longer and I might even turn myself into something like the Loch Ness Monster eventually you know just kind of hide (laughs) out in my monstrousness so I'm going back to you know those those forests of Europe to the origin of orc thank you jacob um for talking about the problem of orcs and i look forward to talking to you next time
1: do you have uh, julia do you have a tip for us
0: oh thank you for reminding me yes so i think the tip the relevant tip here is about how to write villains and one of the things that the orcs present is the problem about um having swathes of people who are villainous one of my favorite quotes from um terry pratchett is about dark lords and he says dark lords should be rationed and i think orcs are part of the same economy you should ration the kind of number of orcs that you think up for your world and if you want to write in a modern vein think about the point of view of your characters who you've put as other to make sure you're not falling into the trap of having a set of expendable people who are your cannon fodder. I just don't think our modern time likes that, wants that, and I don't think we should be doing that. Um if they're sentient and all those things. So that is my tip is to learn from the orcs that we'd have to write them differently today. How about you? Have you got a tip you want to share with us?
1: i do i just i stumbled across something uh, earlier this week uh going back to rings of power and uh orcs there and how they're portrayed there um the i, I mentioned uh last time uh the podcast series the mm. rings of power official yeah. podcast so they had an episode um with bear mccreary who does um the composing uh for the series beautiful yeah. um he started doing a deep dive into his composition for each of the episodes on Ooh. his blog. So bear Um, and you go to that main page and you can uh, select, he has a uh, Lord of the Rings right now. He's just on episode one, but if you look at that, he talks through kind of the theory of, um, of coming up with those different themes. He has translations uh, of the different, you know, the music, you know, people that you're here are seeing, singing, you are singing in Quenya. He has, you know, English translation of the Quenya. He also has English translation of, you know, you hear orcs uh, chanting in the black speech, and you have the English translation of that here, um, along with the full musical accompaniment. So if you want to on your piano, so, uh, yeah, Julie, I see your piano behind you. You can <laughs> turn around and <laughs> play, just start play, playing the, the yeah. orcish, yeah, the orcish chant, you could start, uh <laughs> Uh, start tickling the ivories there um, and singing your own black speech, uh, you can certainly do that, courtesy of bearmccreary.com. Um, And it, it's fascinating. And if you enjoy... It, it's it's really special seeing how much thought um, uh, and care went into his crafting of the mm-hmm. musical setting for the world. So just as much as you see how much care was put into the the physical setting right Mm -hmm. the 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 environment the clothing and everything there um you can see that spelled out um wonderfully here in the music um and it really helped me to gain a greater appreciation for um what's being added there so now as i'm re-listening to the soundtrack and as i see it um i'll certainly be doing so um from a place that i'm enjoying appreciating um and getting a lot more out of it
0: that's a very good tip. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I will certainly be going and having a look at that myself. Right. So thank you for talking about the problem of orcs and for your special tip. And I look forward to speaking to you again next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Myth Makers Podcast. Brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, In-Person Stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide.
0: Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class? Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace, starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing.